There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, I'm KC. And I'm Tyler. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What is happening, all you woods people in the woods and in the waters? <laughs> I tell you what, it's it's kind of water season out there. We're driving over the lake right mm. now. Uh, we're headed to the big DF dub to pick up our friend Garrett to do a little bit of uh, hog hunting this week. And uh, I'm just looking at the fishing opportunities out there. We've actually been discussing this a little bit. We got pigs on our heart, but man, fishing's on the brain, Tyler. Oh yeah, 70 and mostly cloudy. Just. It is time, dude. Ooh, man, yeah. The back corners of them coves are about to start oh, boiling, if you know dude, what I mean. By the time our buddy leaves uh, El East Texas, we're going to be doing some fishing. I yeah. mean, we're going to need to be doing fishing. I know that. Yeah, for sure. We actually were talking about loading up the freezers with some fish, which is something I'm real interested in. we got some plans for that. And uh, food acquisition is one of the things that really drives what we do a lot. You mm-hmm. know, um, we um, eat a lot of pigs we eat a lot of deer eating a lot of neil guy right now let's go eating a lot of elk as well or have it actually got buried and so it's actually kind of a good thing in my freezer right now yeah. i have chest freezers so all my elk is at the bottom oh that's... which means like i'm gonna get to eat that this summer you know which is pretty cool this brings me to a thought here what's that i, I practice this same thing mm-hmm. um you know it wasn't long ago i was a big time pop tart eater yeah you know, I said big time, not big. BTPT. Because right? uh, you can get big eating Pop-Tarts for sure, but I, I wasn't necessarily a big Pop-Tart eater. I was just a big time one. Um, <laughs> the way to eat a Pop-Tart, in my opinion, and it's not that I don't like the crust, uh-huh. but it's crust first. Uh-huh. And you leave the middle, uh-huh. and then you eat the middle last, and you leave yourself with this flavor in your mouth that's like, yeah, that's the one <laughs> I want, you know? And I think you do that with, with, like, you should do that with all kinds of things like if you do it with a steak mm-hmm. you might leave that crispy salty crust edge oh yeah and that's the last bite you want or oh, whatever yeah. you know so i do know. with a burger for sure yeah like i i i eat most of the burger but i leave like a meaty part and then i eat that 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 bun part and then I, yeah. the last bite that for sure has every ingredient you yep, know yep. yeah yeah it's a thing to do so yeah. maybe this is good for your freezer to to when you're know, going in back into deer season next year, you'll be finishing on some elk instead of some deer, you know? Yeah, we actually got a lot of eating to still do. It's crazy how, like, um, how you pile up some meat through the year if you have a good season. We, yeah. We're definitely blessed with that for Especially sure. Especially you. Well, I got a bunch of dadgum cameramen that won't get their meat out of my freezer, too. Oh. They got it at their own house. Now I'm about to drop it on the porch. They're the worst, They dude. are. The, the worst. worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyways, um, as you might have heard, uh, we were on the Meteor podcast this week with our buddy Steve and and uh, Hunter and Jordan and some other folks, and um, we got to talk about a lot of cool stuff. It was fun. We didn't get to talk about this, nope. and it's a thing that we wanted to bring up because uh, 
our friend Stephen Rinella set the hunting world on fire. He has a hot take. He loves his hot takes. He does. <laughs> um, he says, well, we'll just let him say it. How's that sound? I personally, man, like, like I think, and I'm raising my kids to feel the same way, mule deer are a thousand times cooler than whitetails. Why? Because they're just mysterious. They're more mysterious. So, Tyler, we decided that uh, we didn't want to talk to Steve about this in person because he would, like, interrupt us a lot. So we would instead talk about it on our podcast. That way he can't. (laughs) No rebuttals. No rebuttals. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's too smart for us to handle, uh, you know, on a face-to-face basis. But although... Um, y'all will be interested in meat eater trivia when it comes out. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, you'd be very interested in that. Yep. Right, Tyler? Uh, you'd be very interested. <laughs> I hope. Uh, I, my heart was beating a million miles an hour. That's for sure. Uh, I was interested. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So um, there's a couple things that Steve made a point there about the whitetail and mule deer differences and how he thinks that mule deer are cooler, which um, is a arguable, debatable point. Which I appreciate that much about it. It's not. He's like, not talking about temperature, though, right? No, Just, okay. I, I don't know if they know the exact running they temperature. They definitely of are cooler if they're temperature. I can tell temperature, you this. You know? um, right now, there's uh, there's probably whitetail and mule deer in Sonora, Mexico, that are sweating their booties well, off. That's true. So um, that's true. Which is kind of a weird thing because the rut's later down there too, and it's going to be hotter. So I don't know how that works. But, anyways. Um, it's not like he's like, oh, yeah, man, uh, you know, uh, marmots, those are cooler than whitetail. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like, no, they're yeah. not. I mean, marmots are pretty cool, but, you know, like, it's a, it's a sliding scale, right? Like, pretty yeah. much all furred animals are pretty neat to me. But um, mule deer and whitetail are close. And here's how close they are, actually, guys. Mm. Um, this is probably uh, the coup de gras, I think, as they say. But uh, <laughs> we're going to lead with it. I was a biology major for about 15 minutes in college, <laughs> and uh, I learned a lot. Cause I, I was what did really, you major in after that? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was a biology major for a year and a half, and then went G-stud. And two-stepping. Then went, yeah, and then went two-stepping and girl-chasing. And psychology is where a lot of people end up because it's the easiest one to get into. Mm. Uh, and then I just uh, left because uh, they made me. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, in my studies, I was really interested in the ecology. Uh, that's what I really wanted to study. I actually wanted to be a, uh, a person who dealt with um, freshwater fisheries. Uh, so study of ecology is basically what? Ecology is ecosystems. So uh, I wanted to work on the ecosystem level, which would be things like evaluating everything from water quality up to herd dynamics and everything in between and even you know atmospheric things so, so can you are, can you study like when i think about economics there's macroeconomics uh-huh. right and micro yeah. is it is ecology more of a macro concept or is it just like are you still studying all the very fine uh, I think sometimes. At, at, I mean, this is there's probably an actual professional in the world who can give you a better answer than me. But in my mind, if you're an ecologist, you have to have a mastery of a lot of things. Gotcha. So you have to be able to work down to the micro level, but Putting also a puzzle together. You also are most likely cooperating with uh, other specific professionals in in the the realm as well. So like, you know, an ecologist probably works closely with a botanist and a um, microbiologist and a couple of and things like that yeah you ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in you crave wide open spaces fresh air the chance to connect with the land well maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild but searching for property can be a maze that's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. 
book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, Mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. But I was... The reason I liked ecology is because uh, it also pairs well with hunting because we all understand as hunters that ecology or that like it all works together, right? That's the way God made this thing. Everything works together to function the way it's supposed to. And whenever humans come along, sometimes we mess that up a little bit or Mm. at least we would like to track how things are changing. That way we can adapt to it or whatever you want to say. Anyways. You know, go ahead. Just to interject, the... So I um, have been over the last course of the last four weeks or more probably been listening to that same podcast that we just referenced where Steve and Joe are talking, right? It's funny. It takes you four weeks to finish the podcast. I know. It's, it's so long. <laughs> we're and, and old. I, we're I so have busy. all of like 20 minutes, you know, a week to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, as I've listened to it, uh, I think later on one of them talks about how um, – because they were started talking about like whitetail deer management type stuff, mm-hmm. and some of these guys that manage deer, and then there was something like one of them re- referred to like how odd it was to see like guys that had shot big deer, record book deer, whatever, that didn't even know what kind of tree they were sitting in mm-hmm. or whatever. Which is kind of it's kind of you know like it's funny to me. This is why you're a good deer hunter. But you like the ecology aspect, and you think that it helps you as a hunter. Mm-hmm. And there are other guys out there that, like, don't know what tree they're sitting in yeah. and are killing big deer. But they don't kill necessarily. Those guys aren't killing big deer all the time. They just have killed one or but whatever. But there are guys know? who are like that. I appreciate yeah. you saying that, too. But, like, say, for instance, um, our friend Brian Bostic. Yeah. Um, we were sighting in a scope at my house today. Brian has killed his fair share of big deer. Um and uh, he, I propped the uh, backstop of our target up on a small pine sapling, and he said, uh, "Yeah, is that cedar big enough to hold it up out there?" You know what I mean? <laughs> and and I, I didn't, uh, I didn't bug him too much about it. Uh, I actually didn't even mention it. I just thought it was kind of funny because it was like, uh, you know. Like, I would never, you know what I mean? Yeah. I would never. Yeah. But to him, it wasn't that big of a deal, yeah. you know? That's a cedar, some kind of green thing. That's a natalist tree. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, it, it's all types, man, you yeah. know? like And uh, some people uh, just are real good at the strategy game. Yeah. And or, like, whatever whatever they are decent at, they they find a way to make deer work for them mm-hmm. that way so yeah like they may only know they may not know trees very well but they might know like you know uh trails they yeah. may just be good at understanding which trails are the, the good ones that get mm-hmm. used or tracks or whatever which what's fresh what's the actual fresh track look like you know yeah well the big so. thing that you need to think about all right when you're thinking about whitetail and mule deer mm-hmm. is this okay all right what i learned 
throughout my schoolings, which take that for what you will, okay? An education is only worth so much. Um, is that, and there's probably some more details to this, but to qualify something as a separate species, it cannot hybridize with another animal and have viable offspring. So let me try to say that a different way. Uh, mules and horse, I'm sorry, donkeys and horses are separate species because a donkey and a horse make a mule and mules are not... Sterile. Yeah, they're sterile. They cannot reproduce. So like one mule can't find a donkey or another mule or a horse and have babies with it. That's not... Mules are done whenever they, they are born. Um, so, for our northern friends, it'd be a wiper. <laughs> That's right. A wiper. Wipers. We call them hybrids. We call uh, them hybrids because they're hybrids that don't reproduce. Yeah. But Supposedly. Uh, well. So, yeah. then that's where things get weird. Okay? <laughs> because mule deer and whitetail can mate, reproduce with one another, and then those offspring are viable and not just able to reproduce, but able to function completely normal and natural. So it would be one thing, and I think that there's a scientific argument to be made, is that if an animal, say, for instance, can hybridize with, um, I'm going to take something goofy just to make this easy, say a goat and a giraffe. Say they can hybridize, and, and they, yeah, they, they, they come together to make a meal guy. <laughs> and uh, that animal uh, can, in fact, breed. However, it is killed by a coyote in its first six months of life because it just can't function very well. That's still not what you'd call a viable offspring. A viable offspring oh, really? is healthy. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can't be a lab rat, pretty much, and still be considered viable. So... Okay. Okay. Um, That's so, interesting. Yeah, it, that and somebody might argue differently than that, but that is kind of how I perceived it. You can't it make can't this just thing be like a lame duck kind of yes, thing. Yes, exactly. Know? Yeah, it can't just be like a like a dumb looking hybrid thing. Yeah. It's gotta it's gotta work in the in the real world. I got gotcha. you. Um, so, mule deer and whitetail can hybridize, have viable offspring that continue to pass on their genes without complications throughout the rest of time. Which so, brings up the point. Are they different species? Yeah, that's a good question. And then. What would you say? I would say that take I'm it. conflicted on this. <laughs> conflicted. Because I like different species. I like the idea of there being Columbia blacktail and, uh, uh-huh. you know, like regular blacktail, California blacktail or whatever they are. And then mule deer being separate from those. And then whitetail being separate from mule deer. I even like the idea of the different types of mule deer, or of whitetail, because I think it's kind of cool. However, I don't have to call them different species to recognize that they're different. I think that in there is where the... the cookie crumbles is so, like so they're just real quick yeah man, I, I keep buttoning on no, you no this but is you're, good I, I don't need to talk I feel so like much this, no i i think you do i just want to kind of draw some conclusions and clarities uh-huh. and stuff so when you say different whitetail you mean like dakota carmen mountain uh virginia yeah. uh texanus or whatever uh-huh. uh so, so there's, there's different th- there's like seven of them or something who knows right? because you can't you look at a different website and it'll say a different number each yeah. time but there's different varieties if you've traveled the country much you know whenever you go to nebraska the deer look different than they do in west virginia yeah uh and so on and so forth the deer in in mont in uh, minnesota look different than the deer in mississippi yeah um you know there's islands that have deer specific to them in georgia like deer are neat but that doesn't make them a different species that just makes them a different looking type of one you know I mean, sub is there a way to like what they call scientifically uh classify that no because you know why i think this and this is where i'm getting trouble all right so this is kc <laughs> going off on stuff i don't believe in evolution in any sense of it except for um no but this personal beliefs all right y'all Noah loaded kinds of animals onto his boat. So uh, Noah sure. didn't have to take a mule deer and a whitetail on the boat. Noah just had to take a deer on the boat. Mm. Odinoculus or whatever the... Uh, actually, kind would be even... Oh, I mean, okay. okay, so kind people come over from Germany and Spain. That's how you remember this, all right? So kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, 
genus species. I believe family is kind. That's where those two those words are synonymous. So you have to have a family uh, to consider something different. And I don't believe that things evolved into those different families. I think that those families of animals were put on earth by God, and then whatever we have now is just how kind of things have changed since that happened, okay? And there was so a bottleneck ad- of the... Would you say adapted would be a good word? Adapted, changed. You can say evolved as long as you don't mean, like, Monkeys algae, to men or algae to humans. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> that's fine. You know, I, I'm not, I don't think that, like, the, the concept of... Um, and evolution is bad. I do think that the theology of evolution is, is really bad. It's, it's not even bad in the sense of good and bad and morality, but it's also just really weak science because uh, there's not a lot backing up there. But neither, either way, that's not what this is about <laughs> today, at least. <laughs> uh, what we were trying to get at with that, though, is that um, I don't really think that, that the... Uh, Linnaean nomenclature, I believe is what it's called, where you have the two, the, the, the genus and species name is built upon the kingdom phylum order class, um, yada, yada. So, um, I don't know if I believe that that is right in the first place. I don't think we classify animals the right way because I'm a creationist. And the way that animals are classified in science is from a evolutionist standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I do. So, like, the whole thing is messed up, mm-hmm. in my opinion. We can't classify um, hippos in the same family as orcas or whatever the weird one is, you know, or, or dugongs or whatever, because it doesn't make no sense. It's not mm-hmm. real. It's not real, right? So, all that to be said, if the animals can breed and make viable offspring, they're the same animal. <laughs> okay? Yeah. It was just like, you know, I saw, this is a very um, interesting point that I saw someone make on TikTok. You know, I know, I know, I'm sorry, okay? But hey, dude, I mean, there's cool stuff on TikTok. It's part of reality right yeah. now, you know? It is, man. <laughs> uh, there was a, a man uh, in like, in the, at the turn of the century, turn of the 19th, or turn of the 20th century, so it's 1908, I think, who was presented at the Chicago World's Fair? If I, I my details might be wrong in this, but Apostrophe-ass he was he was from Africa. He was presented as a missing link in existence. This is a human, a black guy, right from Africa, who was racially motivated, or it was racially motivated the actions here to present this guy as the missing link between apes and humans. All right. Man, he did look a lot different than the white people who were around. That doesn't make him a different critter. And would you say that a Congonese person looks more or less like you than a whitetail does to a mule deer? Uh, I mean, no strings probably, attached here. Yeah, not, probably less. Probably less. I would, I would think. Yeah. You know? I mean, you're talking about a mule deer and a whitetail... Uh, you know, at at some sort of distance, oftentimes if you're in crossover territory, you can't tell for a while. Oh, on the does especially. I yeah. have to get them to turn their ears around yeah. to tell the difference. But uh, that guy, not only it was probably his facial structure different than mine, mm-hmm. uh, but he's probably like, I mean, literally the the what figurative term of black and white. Yeah being different than each other, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of like a, um, and you know, skin-wise, that's one of those things. Let right? me say, like, too, I, I fully believe that was horrible and evil and a terrible thing. Sure. But it's just the example to be used is that at some point in time, the science world thought that they would point out that they were it's a different classification of human, uh-huh. you know? And, like, so you take that. And there are individuals around this world that look a ton different. We're all considered the same race, and I think we are. I, I believe mm. we are. So if this mule deer can also cross up with this blacktail and also cross up with this whitetail, how is that any different than the people around the world? Mm. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that uh, we could be looking at a lot of this stuff all wrong. But we've actually made it probably like um, – one percent into the podcast that we're going to try to do. So. But the main the main question <laughs> still remain that remains. Um, yeah. Can a blue marlin and a striped marlin 
breed together they and might create be the same thing right off, off yeah i think so i think so <laughs> well you know the way the dispersed spawning works anyways who who knows what's happening right? uh, I, I think it's probably mostly just mullet out there uh and some of them turn into Dude, marlins how, how weird is it that like um dead gum how many gar breed carp eggs every year in the back in the shallows you know because it's dispersed spawning so yeah it's literally just swimmers out there finding eggs and yeah. going in them and that didn't work you know but it's just kind of weird <laughs> yeah you know to think that that's that's the way that, that it's done yeah but so the question is um from there now that we've established that these things are all the same anyways <laughs> okay <laughs> uh what we're looking at here is phenotypic traits which means what you what's observable right and um oftentimes um it is either what you would call culture or habit or there's probably another word that's better for this but the way that animals interact that keep them from breeding and hybridizing and and, uh you know causing each other problems in fact we did some um hunting recently for nilgai and whitetail where those things were actually like living together harmoniously and didn't really even act like each other existed, even though they're uh-huh. on the same landscape, you know? So yeah. it's like there's something to just their mannerisms, or they look enough different, which those things aren't going to be able to interbreed. That's not really what I'm saying. But it's just like things can exist on the landscape and, and be different things, even though they're in the same spot, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess uh, where we're trying to go with this is what makes them different and what makes one or the other cooler. And this is going to be subjective right because you can measure uh antler length and you can measure body weight you can measure population density you can measure all this stuff but you can't measure coolness or how much how mysterious something is Mm -hmm. those are immeasurable things so uh at that point in time we just have to have a debate and nobody's gonna win right but um i think that i'm not sure i can tell steve he's wrong and i'm not sure i'm willing to not be on his side but it's probably worth talking about the differences a little bit more because we know both of these critters pretty well you in fact killed a really nice mule deer last year right yeah yeah was that a mysterious for you todd (laughs) it was mysterious actually it was um and so Here's here's a to give a little context here. We we aren't able to play obviously the whole podcast between Steve and Joe. You heard a little clip of it, but some of the things he mentioned are that the deer are more mysterious. They live in more I can't remember quote for quote, but remote or wild places, right? Um, that uh, urban sprawl is better for whitetails. What else maybe was mentioned in there? Anything else? There's, um, and we'll address some of this stuff as we go, but. Just yeah. kind of off the top of the brain, the how sensitive they are to humans, sensitivity to humans, um, and uh, and so and Joe made some good points too about that kind of were rebuttals, but we'll kind of go through all some of this stuff and talk about it because mm. it is worth looking at and um, and in the end, I want a lot of people to go hunt mule deer more than whitetails <laughs> so that I can shoot bigger whitetails, <laughs> you right, know. Man. So, yeah. um, but um, you know, you probably could tell that we are whitetail fans, and and I. I hunted the um, I hunted mule deer this year in Colorado. If you haven't seen the video, it's on the on the channel, the Element Channel. Um, it's actually been pretty wildly popular. I thought, you know, pretty good mule deer. He's big frame. He's not like a high scorer, um, but I kind of just did this kind of slower paced hunt with like no music until the very end or anything. It's just kind of a day by day thing. See the struggle. And it actually, I guess, relates pretty well, which That's, is uh, it's cool. a pretty common comment on that video. Is yeah. People are like, it's one of the best ones I've ever seen. It yeah. just felt like I was there. It's like, yeah. good. That's what we're that's, going that's for. That's what we're hoping for, you know? <laughs> so, and, and sometimes you're like, man, do people have the the, the um, capacity to, like, watch this thing in this day and age and with mm-hmm. attention and stuff? Do they have the attention to, to watch it? And they do, apparently. But anyway, um, that's, that's a time that I hunted mule deer specifically and there were no whitetails there Mm -hmm. and um i have shot a i've shot a forky mule deer in the southern panhandle of texas before i have um let's see i don't know 
Have we ever? We may. I don't know if we've ever stalked any deer in like crossover country, any yep. mule deer. I uh, oh, stalked right. one in, in South Dakota. Yeah, one very big. But mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, I'd love to shoot a mule deer. Never shot one. Yeah, so yeah, it'd be cool." And so we spent some time, a lot of time in crossover country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I think they're super cool. But I kind of wonder, like, are they cool because? I haven't spent much time around them. Yeah. And and you have to, like, take that into account when you think about how cool they are compared to a whitetail. Um, I have a lot of points that I think would build up my case for making whitetail cooler. But one of the things I noticed when I first hunted in crossover country, like I said, southern panhandle, which this goes back to, this is an interesting thing. My wife's granddad actually had a property there in that same country, uh, probably in, like, the 2010s. And they they had trail cameras all over this property, and they had a lot of mule deer with no forks. If that gives you any, that? you can follow them when I'm uh, going. For you right know, there. that's kind of a. Um, I see that a lot in the southern mule deer, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, Arizona, New Mexico, Sonora, Mexico, <clears throat> all this stuff. Like you see a lot of those mule deer with like what we would call a eight point whitetail frame yeah you know just yeah. normal looking g one two three four yeah um so interesting thought there for sure like i can almost guarantee you looking at some of these trail camera pictures that there were crosses yeah in in this herd and you know we've looked at um i might be subtracting from your point no, here no. but um we have mounts uh shoulder mounts yes. we actually just did a video about this um that'll come out soon uh about how to choose a shoulder mount and yada yada. But um, we've looked at this from deer that are from some of this crossover stuff, and there's a large discrepancy in ear size and mm-hmm. coloration on the ears Dude, on some of these deer. I was, I was just fixing to talk about this. Okay. I have a I have a mount from crossover country that I pulled out of my storage when we were white, true whitetail bums that like I didn't have a house for three years or whatever. And I pulled this thing out of storage when I get my house built, and I put put it up on the wall, and the first thing I noticed was, well, dad gummit. I didn't really think about this, but this deer is like, not only is he more gray than mm-hmm. any of the other deer that I have on my wall, but he also has weird black tips on the end of his mm-hmm. ears, and his ears are larger than any of the other whitetails on the and wall. And he has double splits. G2s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, How about, about that? that? <laughs> yeah. That's right, dude. So, and But uh, 100% shot him thinking he was a whitetail. And I don't know how you'd prove it at this point if he wasn't. But, yeah. like, he certainly, in my opinion, like, this, here we are, we're on a podcast. You and I don't have to listen to anybody else. Mm-hmm. We get to make opinions. My opinion, this deer is a crossover almost 100%. So is this a recessive trait that's kind of showing <clears throat> up? Or is this a deer whose parentage was one and the other? I think parentage really personally yeah that's cool um but i wonder like my thoughts are this um in crossover country when there's drought Mm -hmm. i feel like that mule deer may be in my opinion my in my experience that mule deer may be the first ones to kind of fully disperse from an area and kind of head towards the Rockies or whatever they do. Mm-hmm. You know? Which is weird because in general, mule deer do better in <laughs> more arid country than whitetails do. That's mm-hmm. one of the things, you, you know, you take a, a state <laughs> that has like badlands and then it has, you know, like river bottom, then the whitetail will be down in the river bottoms and the, and the deer will be up in the, the mule deer will be up in the badlands. Well, but I've seen what you're talking about where when there's a drought, then mule deer get out of Dodge. They go find mm-hmm. them something else. Yeah. Whatever know? they're doing, like, yeah, uh, they they will disappear, and maybe in that fringe country, maybe it has to do with whitetails being dominant. Maybe it has to do with whitetails being more prevalent on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And so, like overall, the whole you know you, you lose X amount of deer, and it just completely takes like the whole mule deer herd out of the area or whatever. So Remember I don't that know. Mule deer we had we had a, a a doe mule deer on camera in farm country. You remember that? Yep. And I it's do. like I random. Do. Yeah. She ain't nowhere near any mule deer. Like, there's like, okay, when I say mule deer habitat, one of the things about mule deer is they kind of, they're roamers. They like big country, it mm-hmm. seems. Mm-hmm. 
and there ain't any big country around there. There's a right. couple little little like creek bottoms or whatever that are dry. You know, you might call them a canyon or a coulee or whatever, but it ain't like a it ain't like a hold a mule deer type thing. Mm-hmm. She's a long way from home. Yeah, what is she doing? Man, that's a good question. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to start really. Yeah, um, it's just I think you don't have to actually tell me the real yeah, answer yeah. as more, much as just. Uh, like it's like the hypothetical of like what is going on with these deer you know like what what are they what is their function yeah you know like and and are they really different are they really special or yeah you know i i i don't know but it makes me wonder like in crossover country that has generations after generations of interbreeding uh-huh. at what point are we even a hundred percent certain any particular deer is a whitetail or a mule deer, yeah. you know? We're going to title this podcast The Trans Issue <laughs> because we're talking about, you know, deer that are trans between mule deer and whitetail. Yeah, they're, so the, they're transient deer <laughs> is what right. they are. Um, so anyway, um, that's just a couple, like, anecdotals about mm-hmm. my experience with kind of whitetails and mule deer and now when i think about like some of the th- some of the differences that i have seen in whitetails and mule deer in my time spent in crossover country which has been now uh probably decades now actually probably a couple of decades that i've hunted in some sort of like crossover country when we first started hunting i can remember uh in texas i can remember uh this one wheat field and there was a spike mule deer that hung out in this wheat field every single day. <laughs> and sometimes there was whitetails out there and sometimes there was other mule deer with him. Mm-hmm. But he was there every day. And I I know one of the first things we noticed when we started hunting that country was that it seemed like mule deer, we called them dumb. Yeah. Because they would hang out in those wheat fields and just look at you 50 yards from the road while you were stopped taking pictures of them or whatever and looking at them. And the whitetails would run off and uh-huh. the mule deer would stand there and look at you. Uh-huh. And this isn't, this isn't, I mean, this isn't like mountain remote, but this is re- remote country. This is small town, Texas panhandle country. So there's not like tons of people around. They probably see a couple cars a day at least, but it just, I hate to generalize that all mule deer are this way, but I have seen some mule deer do some really just things that are just, a little bit less wary than whitetails. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about like some of the towns you've stayed in in Colorado, little towns or fishing in Colorado or whatever, and some of the like just straight up backyard deer that walk 10 yards from the back mm-hmm. window of the cabin you're staying in or whatever. Yeah. And I know that happens with whitetails some, but I just don't think I see it the same way as yeah. I do with mule deer. You know, uh, my take on this is a little different because I haven't hunted that middle ground stuff to, as much as you have where they both exist but i've hunted the areas where each one exists quite a bit mm-hmm. uh and my experience that i always like to think about on this is i've elk hunted in colorado during mule deer seasons and seen trophy <laughs> mule deer bucks that i could shoot multiple times with my bow and they'll just look at you or you'll jump them out of their bed and they're bound out to 60 and turn around and look at you. Well, mm. let me let you know something. Any old boy with the open sight 30-30 is going to smoke that thing down. Yeah, you know? or a crossbow. So it's just like, uh, or just, you know, a guy who feels confident in his abilities with the old vertical bow. Yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> but um, they just inherently have this shoot me thing going on that whitetails do not usually. Yeah. But the opposite of that is the one I stalked in South Dakota at one time. Uh, we jumped him out of his bed, and he ran as far as we could see him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and kept running. Yeah. I mean, literally miles. They have the capacity to go. Yeah, for sure they I, do. You know, I think about them like, um, for instance, the deer that I shot was in a very remote area. We horsebacked in. If you haven't heard the podcast, we have a podcast on it. Talks all about the trip. It was just unbelievable. So much fun. Incredible once in a lifetime type of deal. Just so blessed to be able to have done that. But. Um, where I shot that deer, not necessarily far from human, you know, like hikers, essentially, yeah, it actually right? actually wasn't, right? Like, yeah. There's a lot I mean, of people around. Shoot. We, we, you know, on that particular day, um, I left Eric at the hike, hiking trail 
and he saw that deer from the hiking trail like within a couple hundred yards within 200 yards of him easy mm-hmm. and and so i mean they see people even though it's super remote because hikers will they do they'll get weird man they'll Made just go wherever <laughs> they want yes. dude you know and i can tell you where people aren't hiking and i won't highlight or spotlight anything right now but there are some remote places in this country that are just not really hiking places mm-hmm. they're destinations that get real hot and real cold and they're super remote and they have lots of cattle ranches that are thousands of acres and guess what if there ain't cattle on them there's not a human within miles of these places in fact i hunted a place this year and you have an idea at least what i'm talking about right now but you know this place this i mean we walked on public for a mile and a half and i was looking at deer that were probably almost two miles from me heading over uh like into the next draw and that draw would be like four miles from the nearest uh entry of any sort Mm -hmm. At, at the at the closest entry would be four miles so the closest a human can get to one of them things on a wheeled vehicle is four miles yeah and we ain't talking about the closest highway yeah we're talking about the closest trail or anything right and they i mean surely they see people in the year some but that's a remote animal and it don't matter if you've gone 10 miles into the backcountry on horses Mm -hmm. or if you're you know a mile and a half in looking at deer there's, there's still these things that have to do with the private and public, like, intermittent use by people and how that all works together that is a dynamic we'll almost never understand. I think you talked about it in the last podcast when we talked mostly about postseason scouting. Like, there are things we don't understand about. There's very so many variables when you go to find a deer that even if you look in the same mm-hmm. type of habitat for the same – in the same type part of the country – that it could even if it's only 500 yards apart and it looks exactly the same sets up the same whatever it may be completely different because old boy runs a four-wheeler over there every every night just to check on his hog feeder or whatever he's doing you know you just don't know those things yeah and so it's really hard to generalize that mule deer are actually maybe more mysterious or whatever or less inclined to hang out around the urban sprawl or people or development or whatever well it's also your personal experience as yeah. well whereas like Stephen Ranella grew up hunting whitetails in michigan which is like <clears throat> the heart of whitetail hunting country or mm-hmm. uh, culture right yeah so um you, you know they were so normalized to him uh growing up uh-huh. it's which we're similar except we've kind of fallen in love with whitetails uh, I would say for me all over again, you mm-hmm. probably never have been out of it, but, um, you know, he's, Steve's now moved out West doing the meter stuff. And, um, now it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> a whole new world, you know, it's yeah. the, it is the, a new frontier as, uh, I guess it's semi ironic cause it is the West, right? Like it's a new thing to hunt and to mm-hmm. chase and do. And there's things you don't understand and know because, they're just different from what you grew up with. Yeah. And so there's that whole thing going on. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I like to do is when we're talking about subjective things like this, take the uh, the non sequiturs out of it. You know, if you if you look at mathematics and, and statistics, you took some statistics in, in college. <laughs> I think I did. I can't remember that far back. Up. It's a <laughs> terrible class. Um, and this is basic statistics. But, like... Whenever, this is stuff that I had from biology, but say you take samples of like a, uh, you know, the average body temperature of frogs or something, and then you've got 36 samples and you've got a bell curve of what those body temperatures were, and then all of a sudden there's a couple random ones over here, you just throw those out because something went wrong or that just doesn't make any sense why that's there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you could do that for the deer that you see on a golf course or whatever. It's like, well, that's just a, that's a dumb thing. Yeah. Yeah, Not dumb, but uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's just like a thing that isn't normal. Uh Okay. So just take them at kind of their extremes, you know, like where where do whitetail live and where do mule deer live and, and how do they how do they operate? Uh, you and I were talking a while ago. Um, we have seen whitetail at 7,800 feet. Mm-hmm. And I found a firsthand account of a guy on a forum a while ago that he seemed to be 
pretty trustworthy in the way he was saying. He sees whitetail at 8,700 feet pretty mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. Now, mule deer do go higher than that, but that's a high daggum whitetail. Yeah. That's, that's above a mile high, like mm-hmm. a long ways above a mile high. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, whitetail can inhabit high country. And um, here's another point. Which of these animals is it currently expanding its range within the continental U.S.? Be the whitetail. It is not the mule deer. That's right. So, uh, whitetail. Who knows? We might find in ten or fifteen years that they are up on the fourteen, fourteeners in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Which wouldn't that be cool? Oh, I mean, I've seen them traverse country that is that rough. It just ain't that high in altitude. Yeah. And I'll let you know something too. Dag and whitetail are just as uh, able to, uh, I guess immigrate or migrate they don't they don't have like traditional routes like a caribou does or whatever but like i know from living around these things and seeing them in parts of the country that they know when it's time to go four miles that way because we're running out of resources over here Mm -hmm. like they get that stuff so they would be able to figure out a way to come down when it's winter just like the mule deer do mm-hmm. you know mule, you can say oh mule deer live in harsh country well no they actually don't yeah uh, whenever you were up there in September hunting that deer was it harsh no it was I nice mean, wasn't it the sun maybe a little bit yeah I mean but other than that man it was uh, 80 yeah 78 76 what do the mule deer do whenever the leaves fall and um, the temperature starts getting real low they go down and find some food in a valley next to uh, uh, the nearest town. That's right. And some that's hay right. that somebody put out for yeah. them, you know? Yeah. So they they just both can inhabit extreme areas yep. and both know how to be good overcomers mm-hmm. on that. Now, yep. the other thing that's pretty measurable on deer that everybody thinks about is antlers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you This think, plays into what Steve said about he thinks that they look cool, you know? Yeah. And uh, they do. They, yeah. Mule deer look cool. I got one on the wall now. It looks awesome. They do look cool. And uh, one of the things I've always remarked about whitetail, though, is they have the greatest variance of yeah. any any animal. Like, there is hardly any whitetail that looks like another one. There's mm-hmm. a lot of mule deer that are, like, in the 160 range that are just big, what we call, you know, eight points or whatever. They're four-by-four four mule deer. Mm-hmm. You know, they got forks on their twos, and they got forks on the fronts. And there's a lot of mule deer that look like that. And they look awesome. They look really cool. But there's just not a lot of whitetail. Even an eight-point whitetail, one of them's going to have main beams that curve in. One of them's going to have main beams that go up. It's going to have tines that lay over, tines that go straight up, you know, mm. yada, 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 yada. It's also different. Um, and then also, uh, when it comes to trophies, mule deer do have the edge as far as, like, overall size, but not as much as you might think. I looked it up, actually. Um, the world's record it's with an s by the way apostrophe yeah the boone and crockett uh, boone and crockett is who keeps up with this stuff right so it's world's w o r l d apostrophe s world's record whitetail is a found buck uh, so they it was not shot by a hunter um and it scored 333 inches isn't that what i read that's net ago? i think that's right yeah yeah that's net and like 333 and 7 eighths, okay, mm. which is astronomical, as you would say. Um, the world's record hunter killed is by Luke Brewster. Um, it's like a 270 something. 327. 327. Net. Gosh. So, missed Gigantic. it by five inches. Almost the biggest outright. Uh-huh. Um, if it was panel scored again, who knows what might That's happen. That's right. That's uh, exactly right. Because the world's record found was at 325 for a while until it got rescored. So, it's weird how this stuff works. Uh, but it's not, neither here nor there. Um, the world's record mule deer is a, let me find it here. Sorry. Uh, a 355 and two eights, mm. which is... It's a big elk. It, it's a big elk. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane, right? It looks it looks awesome, too. It ain't like some freaky, weird-looking thing, which the whitetail kind of is. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to shoot it, and I'd freak out and probably die. But, um, <laughs> like, there's not a ton of difference in a 333 and a 355. Mm-hmm. So, at the top end, they're pretty close. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. 
Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, Mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be median, maybe. What's the... Is the is the median though of a mule deer quite a bit larger than a whitetail? Uh, probably, uh, and so people use median and mean kind of synonymous. Yeah, so, maybe, and they're different. Mean is the average. Median mean. is the middle. So the problem with yeah, median me, mean would be yeah. probably the actual more median, proper term. Median it gets thrown around that way a lot too. So I don't think you'd be wrong in saying it. But median actually means the exact middle which can skew the data one direction or the other. When you talk about medians, maybe there's a whole bunch of... Because median would technically be the middle of 355 and zero. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So it would be an average, probably. Actually, that is if you only have two, and you have a zero and a 355. Oh, A median takes into account each individual. So you have 36 of them. You take the top, um, what would that be, 18? And you take actually you need an odd number. You take you need thirty seven. Take the top eighteen, the bottom eighteen, and the one that's right in the middle. Whatever its score is, is the median uh, score. Well, well, I guess median could work then. Still, well, median here's here's where you get the problems. What if you have eighteen spikes and one little forky, and then a bunch of biggins? Yeah, their median is still really tiny because the little forky is the median, yeah. even though the average is actually bigger than that. So I like, but median. median could work because it is still based off of all the hunters takes, right? Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. It's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I for like sure. average better. I do too. I think on I think, I I think the average whitetail is going to be smaller than the average mule deer. Yeah. But one of the big reasons I would say too as well is that um, you have a lot of and th- let's take let's take uh, like um, mature buck average too. You know because you got you're going to have like a bunch of one point fives that mess this thing up anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but if like say, three plus year olds or yeah, whatever, maybe. Yeah, you take the average three plus old mule deer across the mule deer's range, and they're all going to be decently large antlered. Well, you take a three plus old whitetail that is from like southern Georgia or something. Yeah, it might be just because that's exactly right. how they are. Mule deer, uh, 
three plus mule deer average body weight is going to be way higher mm-hmm. than, you know, even like the smaller mule deer are going to uh, potentially be um, a lot bigger than a, you know, hill country Texas whitetail yeah. average body. Yeah. Because of the variance that we were talking about earlier between whitetail. So, mm-hmm. you know. It's uh, kind of one of those things where it's like, overall, I think if you shoot like a, just, let me just throw some random numbers out there. This may be way off, but if you shoot a uh, mule deer that is um, three years old, like he may average 130 inches or Mm -hmm. 140 inches. You shoot a three-year-old average whitetail, he might be 115, you know? Mm -hmm. And And when you look at percentages, that percentage of difference is way higher than 355 to 333 or whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah, so. for sure. Well, I think that that is probably a good just discourse on whitetail and mule deer. And I, I really don't know if I could just say one is cooler than another. They're just so different. I enjoy mm-hmm. them for what they are. I do like the fact that you can hunt whitetails more readily. I think I it's too. one of my favorite things about them. And yep. uh, it's probably a pretty underrated quality of them because it's pretty hard to go hunt white mule deer every year. If you ain't hunting whitetail every year, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know? yeah, you can find a way to do it, man. It's it is. It's something. You know, it goes back to what we we're talking about with like the food acquisition, right? Like, yeah. Um, when you think about just the basics of living and life, and how um, food, shelter, and water are kind of the, the basics, and getting your food can be done through hunting, hunting and fishing then whitetail is a very common way and a common man's approach to go out and do what he needs to do to live as opposed to go out and make a make a name for himself or be you know shoot the biggest trophy like there's so much more than just and obviously I love big deer but it it does have these cool you know, I don't know if it's a stigma or whatever around it. That's like very much a common thing to do. It doesn't make it extraordinary, extraordinary. And when I think about like maybe perpetuating hunting, uh, even despite like anti-hunting sentiments and and you know animal rights activism, whitetails make sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mule deer, awesome. In some states, yes. But in the the country of America, on a federal level, whitetails and maybe turkeys could be some of the, maybe waterfowl would be like some of the top three uh, animals that make sense to do this kind of sustenance style hunting, you know, at its very basis, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to ever be just sustenance because I want to be able to go out and enjoy time with my friends and family. But. Like, it's hard to argue with humanity living for thousands of years with sustenance fish and sustenance animals. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's right, man. So, it, it definitely bodes, whitetail hunting bodes well in its case against anti-hunting yeah. and animal rights activism. Yeah. Well, guys, I think that that is a fun thing to talk about, and the discussion will never end. Mm-hmm. I think that we do need to remember that you need to make it fun. Things yeah. like this are fun. I know Steve and Joe Rogan were talking about it in a fun way. Sure. They weren't trying to make it like a, oh, those guys are idiots, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a good thing. And and when we lose the fun, we lose hunters, man. Yeah. So we you know another sure. thing that uh, they should remember is that there are there's a pig video that just released Ooh, from the element. That? And that, when you talk about sustenance and stuff like that, man, mm-hmm. I mean, pigs dude come yeah, on yeah eaters nothing tastes better are every they? single one's a thing you can shoot and every single one you can eat targets man. and Golly. eats man it's good yep. well remember that we'll watch that video and remember this is your element live in it well, i've always heard blood is thicker than water it's why she moves so slow when you look down upon her well i can see a cross and it still looks the same it's a red Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, 
free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.